You've made millions and millions of dollars, worked your tail off, and now you are finally at the top. And what does the government want to do? They've got their handout and they're asking for more than they ever have before. But you're rich and the rich have ways around these things. So today we're going to go over five different tax strategies that you and the rest of the rich can use to avoid taxes. But legally, of course, we're not evading taxes. We're avoiding taxes. Very different. Number one, art. Who doesn't love a good Picasso? Okay, I like it, Picasso. Well, the rich sure do, and they leverage art in more ways than one to get out of a lot of tax liability. Here's a common strategy. First, you're gonna get a fine piece of art for a few million, let's say $5 million. Now, you're not actually going to get the art, you're going to store the art at what's known as a free port. A free port is a form of a free economic zone, usually in or around a port of entry in which goods can be stored without being subject to the country's customs duties. Since these items are technically being transited through they're not actually in the country and so taxes can't be levied on them so let's just just let's just keep the art over there then with your money influence and connections you're going to get this fine piece of art in a prestigious gallery that will skyrocket its value. After some years, let's say it appreciates all the way up to $20 million. Next, you are going to donate it to a designated institution like a charity or a museum, whichever one you feel is right and is legitimate in the eyes of the government. Well, once you donate, you actually get a tax write-off for the fair market value, which is 20 million, not the 5 million that you paid. So. That's pretty dope. Next, let's talk about tax havens and offshore accounts. This is a legal gray area in a lot of ways and step one wrong way and the government will be all over your ass and you might do some serious time. So it's incredibly important. You, my rich friend, have a strong team of advisors, lawyers, accountants, just a A team that will guide you through this so that you can do it as tax efficiently as possible but as legal as possible. The general premise of offshore accounts is setting up shop in a country or area with little to no tax, which is known as a tax haven, and leverage their system to lower your tax liability in your home country. Tax havens also typically limit public disclosures about the owners of said companies, and it's kind of a hush-hush thing. Because this information is hard to extract out of tax havens, they are sometimes called secrecy jurisdictions, which, <laughs> I mean, doesn't sound very legal, but in some ways they are, in some ways they're not. Now, these tax havens love the wealthy coming in, bringing a lot of capital in. It's mutually beneficial to both the country area and the investor or whoever the hell, business owner, billionaire, whoever's coming in, putting in money, helping their economy, they're gonna love it. So <laughs> it's a mutual thing. So how would you actually go about doing this? Well, let's say you're a drug company. What you could do is open a shell company, aka a business on paper, but doesn't really have any underlying operation in a country with little to no tax, aka a tax haven. And the British Virgin Islands is one of the most popular examples. <clears throat> so you have the shell company, then you have this prescription company. Now your prescription company maybe sells the patents to one of the drugs to this new shell company. Patent is the rights to the drug, the sort of ownership over it. Now, since your company has sold the patents to this new company, if they wanna continue using that drug, they're gonna to have to pay a huge licensing fee to this new shell corporation. Since the shell corporation owns a patent. So a ton of money flows and flows offshore. You record little to no profit in your home country and the company that's making all that money offshore has little to no tax to begin with. So you are just plessed all around. The rich have some tricks up their sleeve. And here's the third. Let's talk about opportunity zones. Opportunity zones are an economic development tool that allows investors to invest in distressed areas in the United States and other countries that have them. The point of them is to basically spruce up the community and bring some economic development while providing tax benefits to the investors that are 
you know, putting the money in. The program provides three tax benefits for investors who are looking to invest unrealized gains and basically get out of cap gains. Number one is temporary deferral of previously earned capital gains. Investors can place existing assets into an opportunity fund and defer taxes. These capital gains will not be taxed until the end of 2026 or when the opportunity zone or property within the opportunity zone is disposed of. What that means is let's say you have a massive building and you sell the building. Well, now you're going to owe a ton of taxes, but within 180 days, if you find a qualified opportunity zone and put the money into that, then you can defer the taxes and it's beautiful. And so that's why a lot of capital flows into them. The second potential tax benefit is a cost basis step up. For capital gains placed in opportunity funds for at least five years, the investor's cost basis actually increases by 10%. And if the money stays in there for at least seven years, the cost basis raises to 15%. This basically means the first 10 to 15% of the gain will not be taxed, which is like a huge advantage. And the third potential benefit is full exemption from taxes altogether if your money stays in the fund for at least 10 years. If you keep that thing in there, for a decade or more, no tax. The government's like, yo, thank you for that decade's worth of capital. Here's no cap gains. That's crazy. And so you can see by the end of 2019 alone, there was over $75 billion worth of capital that has flown and flowed into opportunity zones. So God, I mean, end of 2022, at, at least at minimum 100 billion, probably more of capital flowed into these opportunity zones. And like, I can't even wrap my head around that. And you, my rich friend, now you know about this. Mm -hmm. Not just these rich people, you're rich too, baby. So fully legal, but the ethics are fully in question. Opportunity zones are quite controversial. And the one main thing is this thing called gentrification. Now, the point of opportunity zones is to basically spruce up an area, provide money and infrastructure and really like improve it and make it just way better, which sounds like a fantastic thing. But gentrification is the process of changing the sort of composition of a neighborhood. This typically happens when there's new money, new businesses, new people that come in and basically just lift everything up. But it does this sort of unintended consequence. The current people that live there before all of this improvement actually get displaced because the cost of living rises so significantly that they just need to cut and leave. Things like property taxes are like way, way more expensive and they have to go. They just literally can't afford to live there anymore. Residents can also be sort of forced out through lease non-renewals, evictions, or you know, the not so good investors just bleed them out and won't improve the area because they just wanna de destroy the building and build a new building. And so it basically just forces them out. While it's a good thing that these areas improve, I mean, investing capital into them has some unintended consequences. What do you care, baby? You're just a rich, greedy son of a bitch, and you're just looking for a tax place. So let's get into the next one, which is charity. Now, there's like countless ways that the rich manipulate charities to give them a lot of selfish benefits. I mean, I feel like a lot of people know that a lot of these charities and foundations, there's more to it, but it's just, it goes so deep, but we're gonna try to keep it as simple as we can. One of the hottest and most popular charity vehicles that are out right now are these things called donor advised funds. A donor advised fund is basically like a charitable investing account that allows you to support causes that you want to support. When you contribute cash, securities, or other assets to a donor advised fund with a registered charity, you're generally eligible for a immediate tax deduction of whatever the contribution is. Then those funds can be invested for tax-free growth, and then you can go and support any IRS registered charity of your choice. Here's the sneaky part. Yeah, you get that deduction immediately, but when do you actually have to donate to the charity that's supposed to be supported? There's no time limit. The money can just sit there for decades. As of right now, there's no restriction, which I expect to change, 
But right now, my rich friend, you would just get that tax deduction and the money just sits there. While yes, these funds are irrevocable and they're gonna stay there, if it just sits there, then there's no rush. And that's why there's billions and billions and billions of idle dollars in these donor advised funds in America. Here's a powerful example of what a donor advised fund can do for an investor. Let's say you have a ton of Apple stock that is appreciated significantly in value, right? What you could do is donate that stock directly to a public charity using a donor advised fund. Instead of selling the Apple stock and then cutting a check to the charity, you can just put your Apple stock in the donor advised fund. Let's say it's worth $500,000 today. And let's say you're up like, I don't know, 10, 100X, I don't know, you're up huge. Well, once you donate, you are completely off the hook for capital gains. You'll get a tax write-off immediately for the full $500,000. You don't even need to give the money to the charity. The money can just sit there. Yeah, it's a crazy world, bro. And I feel like this video could be a couple, but like, here's the last one. The last strategy that the rich use is debt. The ultra wealthy love to borrow money. And you, my rich friend, are absolutely not different. One of the most keen and popular strategies is this thing called buy, borrow, die. And here's how it works. First, you gotta have like a ton of stock and a huge net worth, which you're rich, you have those things. Now you could sell some of that and live off those proceeds, or you could do this instead. You'll take out a loan, usually a line of credit against your stock portfolio. Basically, you borrow money from the bank and say, hey bank, you guys have a right to my stock if I default on this loan. Now these lines of credit in particular are quite attractive in nature. Flexible payback schedules, easy approvals, and in a lot of cases, very low interest rates. You're gonna use this money to live off because debt is not taxed. If you structure it properly, not only is it not taxed, but you might get a tax deduction for the interest that you're paying on the loan. You'll use some of the money you borrowed to service the debt and make payments, and then over time you'll refinance and you'll just be constantly working the numbers and not paying taxes. Lastly, for the die portion of this equation, you receive a step up in cost basis when you pass away. That means your children, heirs, will not have to pay a dime in capital gains tax once you pass away. Now, this isn't including estate taxes and that's a whole other thing, but like, dude, this is such an insane strategy. Let's go back to Apple. Let's say you bought Apple at like $25 a share back in the early 2010s. And you died today when it's priced at around $150 a share. Your beneficiaries get that cost basis step up to $150, meaning if they sell the stock at $150, they pay no cap gains tax. The rich have tons and tons of strategies to get out of taxes, but if you aren't worth millions and millions of dollars, check out this video here on how to save $100,000 really fast.